This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Thanking the Lord for another opportunity to worship, to gather, to sing songs of praise, to hear God's word together as a family. Again, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone, and I have the honor, the privilege to proclaim God's word this morning. Uh, we'll be in Mark 4, verses 13 through 20. Uh, we'll go over verses um, 1 through 20, but specifically 13 through 20. My man James, he in, the, he in the front, so I know I got my somebody to talk back with me this morning. I want to tell y'all, y'all been hurting my feelings a, a few, last few times I preached because y'all ain't talking back to me. Um, so we need that call and response. I know everybody ain't used to that. Um, but it, it's actually in the scriptures. If you read Nehemiah 8, when they received the law, listen, this, this is not just for me. This is a, preaching is a communal experience. And when they received the law, they, they wept because they heard the word. And then at the end, they called them, Do, don't weep, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then at the end, they celebrate as they're preaching the word. So that's just my invitation for us to enjoy God's word together. I'm, I'm up here, I'm preaching the word, but this is a communal experience that all of us are called to participate in. Amen. Amen. Mark 4, verses 13 through, through 20. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Verse 13 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Then he said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately um, Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness or seduction of wealth, and the desires for other things enter and choke the word. And it became unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it or accept the word, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this privilege to hear from you. Lord, I pray that each person in this room, as we hear the songs, as we hear this word, God, will we commit ourselves to be hearers and doers of your word. Lord, would you grant me the grace to make it my ambition to please you and you alone in this moment. Have your way. Revive us, God. Restore us and draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. If I had a title for this message this morning, the, the title would be The Word Still Works. Mark tells the story of the beginning of the gospel of 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's gospel is action-packed. He moves quickly from one scene to the next. The people who are receiving this story, they are expecting the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one who would be set apart by God to deliver his people from Roman oppression. Chapter 1 in Mark, John the Baptist, he comes with a prophetic word and he prepares the way of the Lord, preaching a message of repentance and faith. John the Baptist is arrested and then we see Jesus burst onto the scene proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus proclaims the kingdom in word and in action. The first few chapters of Mark, we see that Jesus has authority over disease. He has authority over demons. And later on in the book, we see that he has authority over death. For Mark, the beginning of the gospel means that the rule of Satan is present in the world, but it is surely fading away. Now we see that people are coming to Jesus because they see his power. They see his authority over evil in the world, and they come close to Jesus based on what they see. But as we arrive at Mark for Mark wants the reader in chapter 4 to understand that just because you've seen the power of Jesus, that doesn't always mean you understand the purposes of Jesus. Jesus often tells people that he's healed demons, that he's driven out as he does these things to be quiet. He commands them to be silent. Not because he doesn't want them to know who he is. Not because he doesn't want them to trust him. He tells them to be quiet because he doesn't want people to come to him for the wrong reasons. Jesus tells them to be quiet because sometimes the crowds are coming to him because they see his power. But they are under a false illusion that they understand his purpose. As we journey through chapter 4 of Mark, we see the crowds are gathering around Jesus. And the question that the crowds must answer is the same question we have to answer as we reflect on this passage this morning. What do we really want with Jesus? Why, why did you come to Jesus? Why do you want to be around him? Do you see him as the key that unlocks your purpose? Do you see him as a source of immediate comfort or physical blessing? Do you come to him just because you want to be close to his power? Do you want to come to him because you see him as a source of miracle in your life? The crowds are coming to Jesus because they see his power and they think they know his purpose until he starts to speak. And here in this passage, we learn that sometimes the Savior that we want is not the Savior that we actually need. That we have a Messiah who comes not always to meet our expectations, but sometimes he's committed to transforming our expectations because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts, not our thoughts. As we journey through this passage, we will see that what we want from Jesus will be revealed in our response to his word. What we really want from Jesus will be clarified, will be revealed and if we listen to his word or if we resist his word. In the context, this is the parable of the sower. 
Parables are eternal messages using everyday language. Jesus is in a culture of agriculture, so he uses this language to deliver his message. As one scholar mentions that this is the first time that Jesus explains his opening message in Mark, the message that the kingdom of God has come near. Verse 1, the text says that Jesus, he sits by the sea, and he begins to teach the crowds around him. Better translation of that verse would be that Jesus is not just sitting by the sea, but he sits on top of the sea. In that in this time, the sea was this place of danger. It was this unpredictable place, this place of confusion and chaos and evil. And Jesus stands on top of the sea and he proclaims his word. For a Bible reader, for those Jewish readers, as they hear what Jesus is doing, they would be reminded of Psalms 29.3, that the voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord above the vast water. For a Bible reader, you would recognize that this is just not a good teacher who's preaching or teaching by the sea, but this is the Son of God. This is the visible image of the invisible God. This is not just one who's teaching. No, this is God in the flesh who proclaims his word over the chaos, proclaiming his word over evil. And that's an encouragement for you this morning. Whatever you're going through this morning, the chaos, the evil you may be facing, you have a God who stands over the chaos. And as he stands over the chaos, the chaos does not determine how he proclaims his word to you. Even in the midst of the people coming to him, wanting to be close to him because they want to be close to his power, wanting to hear him speak, as the parable moves forward, Jesus draws away from the crowds. He shares the secret of the kingdom with his disciples. I I love this about Jesus because as we see him in this passage, he is not addicted to attention. He is committed to teaching those who may not understand in the moment, but they are willing to continue to listen. This secret of the kingdom in this parable, this is not God withholding information from certain people. This is not Jesus saying that there's a special knowledge for a special people with a special status in the world. No, this secret is God showing us that sometimes God shows us things that he only can reveal to us. That this refers to something that cannot be known unless God reveals it. He quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. He proclaims this parable because he's, it's been given to those not on the outside who resist the word, but those who are on the inside who are willing to listen to the word. Isaiah 9 6 uh, verse 9 and 10 says, they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. It seems like if you read this on the surface, that Jesus is calling a people to repent when they have no choice to repent. It seems like Jesus is saying that I'm calling you to do something that you don't actually have the opportunity to do. But the context of Isaiah teaches us that there's clarity around what Jesus is actually saying. The people cannot hear because their hearts are hard. A hard heart is a heart that is heavy and weighed down by its own desires. A hard heart is one that's strengthened in its own selfish purposes. We don't listen to the word because sometimes our hearts cannot receive the word. When we persist in our sin, we become like the idols that we see that the Israelites were worshiping. 
those who cannot hear and those who cannot see. The purpose of the parable is not meant to hide the truth from us, but the purpose is to reveal our relationship with the truth. We see in this passage moving forward, Jesus begins to explain his word to those who are willing to listen to his word. We see three barriers to listening, understanding, and accepting God's word in our lives. I love this because it's so practical. You can look at your life right now and you can identify these three barriers and see how these things can be impacting and influencing your relationship with the word, your response to the word. First barrier we see in verses 14 and 15 is the devil, that old slew-footed devil. Verses 14, 15, we see that the sower sows the word, but some are like the word sown on a path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. Earlier in the parable, Jesus says that the bird represents the devil who comes down and sees the seed on the path and devours the seed. In this parable, the seed is the word and the ground is the heart. The seed falls to the ground. The word is preached, but the word is not planted. Because the ground is hard, and when the ground is hard, when the heart is hard, the seed is exposed to the devil coming to take away the word. We see this first barrier that Satan does not mind if the word is preached, as long as we don't do anything with the word. If we don't do anything with the word, he can easily take the word away. No, the devil is not able to pluck the seed from good ground, but he is able to take the seed that falls on hard ground. The power, the, the power of the devil is not found in his authority over God's word. His ability, his power is in deceiving us into believing that God's word is not good for us. Throughout the scriptures, we see that Satan, his primary means of attack in our lives, he always attacks God's people through attacking God's word. Let's do a quick biblical theology around how Satan moves. Genesis 3, we see that the serpent comes on the scene and he questions God's word. Did God really say and because there is unbelief in the heart of man in this moment, they trust Satan's word over God's word. And they are exiled, separated from God because Satan always attacks God's people through attacking God's word. Matthew 4, the seed of the woman, the true seed of the woman, Jesus, comes on the scene. In the wilderness, in his moment of weakness, what does Satan do? He attacks the word. But Jesus responds in the way that God calls us to. He says, and no man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan's attack on his people always comes in the form of him attacking God's word. We can go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 12. 10 and 11, we see that God's people are being persecuted and oppressed, and the accuser of the brethren shows up, condemning and judging God's people in their moment of weakness. But what do God's people do? How do they get over? They conquer how? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. This is how Satan shows up. He always attacks the word when he wants to attack God's people. But in this passage, we see that Satan can only attack the word when the word is only on the surface of the heart. Disobedience, it dulls our senses. 
It keeps us from being sensitive to the word and gives the enemy a foothold in our lives. This is why the Bible calls us in Psalms 119, it says, I hid the word in my heart that I embraced, I, tre I treasured the word so that I may not sin against you. That we can hear the word, but we hold on to the word when we apply the word in our lives. One encourages this morning, church, that, that Satan does have power, but he does not have the power that oftentimes we give him. Sometimes we blame Satan for things that we've opened ourselves up to. We blame Satan for certain things when we are not paying attention to the sin in our lives. I have to be honest with us this morning, church. A lot of times we claim spiritual warfare because we've not paid attention to the sin, sinful patterns that have led to us being exposed to what Satan is doing. Oftentimes we claim spiritual warfare in our lives not because we know what Satan is, Satan is doing, we claim spiritual warfare because we don't understand what is happening to us. We don't understand what is going on, and all we can do is blame Satan. But spiritual warfare implies that we're fighting. And if you are fighting, you have to understand who you are fighting and how you ought to fight and the resources God has given us to fight the good fight of faith. Ephesians 6, 17, it reminds us, Paul is reminding his people that we are not ignorant of the schemes of the devil, but we must put on the whole armor, whole armor of God to take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Why is it so easy for Satan to take this word from us? Satan may have access to us because we have not held on to the word. But that does not mean that the word does not have power. This causes us to ask the question this morning, who has access to your heart? Who has access to your heart will determine if your heart holds on to the word. We first see that the word has the power to protect us from the schemes of the enemy. First barrier we see is the devil. The second barrier we see is difficulty. Verses 16, 17, we see that the seed falls on rocky ground. Hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but it's short-lived. That there's a fruit that seems like it's going to grow because it sprouts quickly, but the sun scorches the seed and then it fades away. We see in this passage that there can be a happy response to the word, that we can be happy when we hear the word, but we can also neglect to hold on to the word because of pressure. This text teaches us that we can have an emotional response to the word without a spiritual commitment to the word that pressures, persecutions, distress because of the word can reveal our actual commitment to it. Rocky people, they enjoy the word. They love the blessings that come with the word. They want the word. But when something happens, they cannot yield themselves fully to the word. Have any of you ever been to one of those family reunions or those cookouts, and you have that uncle or that cousin who gets there early just so they can get that first plate. There might be some of y'all in here, and that's okay. That's been me before as well. You come and you get that first plate, and before everybody else eats, you see them back in line again. Before the family reunion is over, they have about four or five takeout plates for them to take back home. And it's interesting with these type of people. Don't look at your neighbor. Focus on yourself. It's interesting with these type of people, when it's time to clean up, when it's time to put the chairs up, time to put the tables up, time to clean the dishes, time to take out the trash, the person who ate the most is gone. The person who got the most out of the cookout 
is missing when it's time to work. Listen, church, rocky people are those who sometimes want the blessings of the kingdom, but they reject the cross. They receive the word with joy and excitement and pleasure, but when they see the rejection that comes with being a Christian, when they see the rejection that comes with standing on the word, they run away from the word. Rocky people are shallow in their commitment because their commitment is situational. Their commitment is situational because their commitment is not rooted in faithfulness to the word. They love the benefits of the word, but they reject the burdens that come with serving and abiding in the word. One commentator, he asked us this question, are our church communities imitating the crowds in Mark? Is our enthusiasm about Jesus an indication of our passion for a version of Jesus and his kingdom? Church, our addiction to excitement, our addiction to the highlight reels of life, our addiction to new experiences and new relationships and reels on our phones, our addiction to the new things can strip us from actually abiding in God's word. Our addiction to those new moments, those fresh moves of God, those new anointings of God can actually strip us from actually persevering in the faith God's called us, called us to. Evidence of believing the word is not always excitement. Evidence of abiding and believing in the word is not just excitement but endurance. What is endurance? When you hear that word, what do you actually hear? Some of us think about endurance as us shutting down our emotions and just trudging along and working through whatever we have to go through in order to, quote unquote, please God. But I want to call us this morning to a gospel endurance. The way that we think about endurance oftentimes, church, listen to this. A lot of times when we think about endurance, we think about obeying God with a bitter heart. We think about, I'm just going to do what you told me to do, but I hate what you're doing and I'm resentful towards you. But no, this is not the endurance that God is calling us to when we face distress or pressures in this world. No, gospel endurance is not denial. Gospel endurance is not neglecting the real truth of what you may be facing. We when we face problems, church, we must remember that we tell the truth about our problems. But we also must reject the lies that our problems teach us. Church, every problem you go through is discipling you. Every problem you face is trying to teach you something. It's trying to teach you something about who God is. It's trying to teach you something about God's word. It's trying to shape your image of who God is. It's trying to shape your image of God's church. Your problems are always trying to teach you something about God. This joy in this passage is superficial because it's not rooted in an endurance in the word. True endurance is a byproduct of deep joy. Not a joy just rooted in circumstances, but a joy that's rooted in knowing who God is and what God has done for us. How do I know that the Bible says in Hebrews 12, speaking of Jesus, that the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. The joy set before him, he endured Despising is shame. Joy is the main ingredient of your Christian endurance. And how do we grow in joy? We submit ourselves to the Lord. He fills us with his spirit. And as he's fill, filling us with his spirit, the spirit of God produces joy in us. A joy that the world did not give us. And the world cannot take. Somebody in here know the song. 
this joy that I have. The world did not give it. The world cannot take it away. God is calling us to endure because he knows that the spirit produces a joy that can help us persevere through the pressures of life. This joy is rooted in God's presence. Through God's word, we endure even as we face problems. We see these first two barriers. The devil, difficulty, and now we see the third one. Distraction. This is essential for us as we think about living in Atlanta. Fast pace. Oftentimes the demands of life dictate our relationship with God. And we see in 18 and 19 that this word falls on thorny ground. It chokes out any type of fruit that can't be produced from the seed. The worries of this age, deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. I love that he just says other things because it does not call us to just limit and think about specific things, but just other things. Possibly good desires or neutral desires can choke out the word. This word choked out is another word for crowded, that the word can be crowded out by worry, by money, by other desires. This thorny ground, in this thorny ground, there is no space for the seed to grow up and produce the fruit that it is intended to produce. For some of us, our schedules are the greatest barrier to our formation. Martin Luther, he said, said it like this when we talk about abiding in the word. He says, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. Richard Foster, he said it in his amazing book, Celebration of the Spiritual Disciplines. He says, in a contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged with muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Psychiatrist Carl Jung once remarked, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. Church, if we don't have time for the word to take root, if we don't have time for the word to shape us and develop us through reading the word and studying the word and gathering in community around the word, that means that our idols drive our schedule. We have to be reminded that our discipleship is measured not by our spiritual gifts, not by our power or our ability to serve. Our discipleship must be measured by our time. Some of us fight against the word. We fight against the power of the word because the word is like a seed and seeds take time to grow. Church, it takes time to allow the word to form and shape you into who God is calling you to be. It's, it's doing the same thing every single day. It's doing the same thing every single week. It's gathering on a Sunday and sitting and hearing the word. It's abiding with community throughout the week to listen and study and apply the word. It's devoting yourself to prayer in the word. It's serving your community in light of the word. It's sharing the word with your friends and your coworkers. It's ordinary things. But when distractions crowd out the word, these ordinary things become boring to us. We get bored with the ways God is trying to form us. To abide in the word, to allow the word to form and shape us, it requires us 
to allow the seeds of God's word to grow and wait for the Lord to, br to bring about the produce. This worry is this consumption with temporary concerns that don't have eternal impact. The deceitfulness or the pleasure or seduction of wealth in this passage reminds us that money promises us a sense of security that really exposes our insecurities when we think about eternity. These other things are our daily activities, our daily hobbies that consume us in a way that we forget that God has called us to set our minds on things above and not things here on earth. Our distractions, many of us struggle with distraction. We want to be distracted because distractions help us cover up our brokenness. Many of us don't want to sit in God's presence and allow it to form us and shape us for long periods of time because our desires are revealed. The things that are actually choking out God's word and his power in our lives are revealed when we have to be still and actually listen. We cannot control the pace of how God works. We can't control how fast we change, how fast he moves. And oftentimes, church, we pursue distraction because we don't want to sit with the pain of patience, the pain of having to wait on God to do something with the word, the pain of having to wait to see us grow and change and be conformed over a slow period of time. Many of us are distracted with many things because we know if we slow down and listen, we are afraid of what God may expose in us. But I want to encourage you this morning, the things that God exposes in his word, the things that he exposes about you in his word are meant for you to know his embrace in his love. Him exposing things in the word is not to destroy you, but to destroy the things that are keeping you away from him. Many of us desire distraction because the truth of who we are and where we are in our life it's frightening. Hebrews 4.12 talks about the power of the word, how the word cuts. It says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged, or King James Version would say a two-edged two sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Sometimes we fill up our schedules because we don't really want to see ourselves. Question that this passage, as we think about our relationships with the word, it causes us to really do self-reflection. Is our schedule organized around the word? Or is our schedule organized around our daily activities? Jesus I love that he uses this word picture, the word being a seed, because the word is powerful to produce fruit, to change, but it requires patience as you wait for that fruit to grow. In order for us to experience the word, church, we must commit ourselves to a life of waiting. Impatience is one of the primary threats to our personal transformation. We have to pay attention to the word, organizing our lives around the word. We see these three barriers and how those three things can keep us from experiencing God's power through his word. That Jesus clarifies his purpose. That he's not just here for us to experience his power, but he is God in the flesh calling us to commit ourselves to his kingdom and his purpose. We see these three barriers, but we see in verse 20 that Jesus calls those who are willing to listen to go deep. It says in verse 20, 
and those like the seed sown on good ground hear the word. They welcome it or obey it or accept it or receive the word. And they produce fruit 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. What I love about this whole passage is the sower is silent. He does not respond to the unfruitfulness around him. The lack of response to the word when he plants in thorny or rocky or hard ground. He or she knows that the job is not to produce the fruit, but plant the seeds. And even though the farmer may not see the fruit from every seed that was sown, they keep planting the seeds because they know when the seed falls on good ground, the fruit will come. Church, as we gather, as we think about the ministry of the word, I want to encourage those who are stewarding the word, who are discipling others, who are sharing their faith, who are shepherding others, who are caring for others, who are parenting your children. Just plant the seed. When you steward God's word, God has not asked you to produce the fruit. He's called you to be faithful, to plant the seed, to share the word. The farmer in this passage, the sower just sows the word. They are free to scatter the seed, and wherever it may fall, they are faithful just to sow the seed and wait for the fruit to come. This is something that we Many of us may have experienced as we do ministry in our community or our homes or within our church. Sometimes God will call us to plant seeds and not allow us to see the immediate fruit so that we won't be confused about who is actually producing the fruit. <laughs> to plant the word, to preach the word, to share the word, to teach the word. God has called us to those things and those things are a work of humility. Because you have to depend on the Lord to bless the seeds that you plant. He's called you to plant because you cannot do it on your own. You cannot produce the seed. I want to encourage somebody this morning who wants to see your children come to faith. Who wants to see your friends or your co-workers come to faith. Be free in what God has called you to do. Because you're called to plant the seed. Plant the word. The fruit will come in its season. God is control of the increase. He will produce a harvest in time. All you have to do is plant the word. There's a freedom that we have in God's sovereignty, knowing that he's called us to an obedience. But our obedience does not dictate the outcomes. That God is control of the outcomes of how the word brings forth the increase. Church, you have the freedom to be obedient. You have the freedom to plant the word. We see that in this passage, it seems like seeds are being wasted. But the seeds are not wasted because we see an abundant harvest that flows from those seeds being planted when it falls on good ground. We see that the word still works. The seed planted in good ground it works in unseen, mysterious ways. We think about the word working that we, oftentimes we think that the word will work, that the word is revealed in its power through viral moments, through our platforms. But the word works in unseen ways, slowly forming, slowly shaping the world and bringing it to the new life that God desired for it. The seed hides in a hidden place, a place of silence. It's buried in the ground. And somehow, some way, it produces good fruit. The word of God that is heard and obeyed, that is heard and acted upon, planted deep in the ground of our hearts, has the power to produce an abundant harvest of blessing. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
Come on, James, you talking back to me. And the word was God, or that God was the word. The Bible says that the word is a seed and the word is the sun. But just because the word was covered in darkness does not mean that the word was defeated. John 12, 24 says that truly, truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Can I tell y'all this morning, the word died one day. It was covered in darkness. It was buried in darkness. Cut off from the light. Cut off from life itself. But little did we know that that word still works. That the seed was working in the dark. That the word still works in the dark. And something happened after three days. Day one, the word died and nothing happened. Day two, the word was buried in a tomb and nothing happened. But early Sunday morning, the word got up. The word was revived. The word had power. And it came with all power in his hands. The word died so that we might have life and life more abundantly. The word brought us life so that we would know that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. The word still works, church. I know a lot of people say that the word is not true, that the word is, does not matter anymore, even in churches sometimes, but the word still works. Amen. That the word still works because the word of God still lives. Amen. And his name is Jesus. Amen. The word of life that produces the fruit of salvation in our lives so that we would know that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. That all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new because the word still works. This is our call. This is our encouragement. This is our conviction that this is truly the word of God inspired by God. That the word of God is active and breathing. That through the word, the word teaches us who God is and what God has called us to do. Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy that the scriptures, all of scripture are God-breathed and profitable for teaching and rebuke and correction and training up in righteousness so the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word is our salvation and it's also our source of survival in an evil world. If we neglect the world, we may be Christians, but our quality of life will not be what God has called it to be. God has called us not only to faith in his word, but allowing the word to form us and shape us into the image of Christ. In, in John 8, 31, 32, the Jews hear Jesus' message and they believe they have recognized and realized that he is the son of God. But Jesus in his grace, in his power, he does not let them stay in belief, but he calls them to discipleship. They believe and he says those who don't only believe my word, but who continue in my word are my true disciples. And they will know truth. And what will the truth do? The truth will set them free. Church, I want to encourage us this morning to reorient, to reorganize, to readjust our lives around the Word. Oftentimes we think about our time in the Word must be this majestic, powerful experience every, every single time we open the Word. But I want to encourage us to move away from thinking that the Word is meant to serve our appetites and our excitement. The word is called, the word moves as we allow it to move within us, to create space, not only in your morning, but throughout your day, 
on your lunch break, when you get off of work, before you go to bed at night, serve and commit yourself to the word. When you are busy with the demands of life, take out your journal and just write down a few passages and meditate on the word. For those who may be in a dry place because the busyness of life is consuming you, find others around you who know the word, who if you are not connected to the word, that you have somebody in your life who will preach the word to you. Let's reorganize our lives around the word because the word has much power. The word still works, and as God sends out his word, we know that the word will not come back void, but it will produce its fruit within its season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray we, we would learn to be a people who would not only hear your word, enjoy your word, listen to podcasts around your word, who would not just sit in communities where your word is heard, but we would commit ourselves to practicing, applying, meditating, obeying the word. Lord, wherever we are, even if we have hard hearts this morning because of some type of stronghold, some type of sinful addiction that we have, Lord God, would you grant us the grace, remind us in this moment that your word breaks up hard ground, that your word can revive, that your word can resurrect our hearts towards you, even if we are hard towards you, Father, that your word can do the work if we would only sit and be present with your word. Bless us as a church, God, will we be saturated, filled, committed to your word, Father, even for those who feel like they don't know your word that well, but they are committed to following you, God, help them commit themselves to discipleship surrounding ourselves with those who do know the word, who are willing and open to share the word, to teach the word. I even pray for our community right now, Father. So many have a distorted understanding of what the word is because of perversions around your word. Will we be a people who are present with our communities, with our co-workers, with our friends, with our brothers and sisters who may not know who you are? And we, we not only preach the word, but we embody the word in the way we love. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Please, Lord Jesus, would you produce fruit in us as we learn, as we commit to abiding in you, as you abide in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.